0: Hey guys, this is your host Gooby and welcome to the Toon Balloon podcast, our outlet to discuss, theorize, and enjoy our favorite webtoons with the occasional anime and manga sprinkled in between. We will be talking about six webtoons today, Unordinary, The Fate of a Rose, Pot of Gold, Age Matters, Love Me Not, and Lore Olympus. I will be sure to leave timestamps for each webtoon discussed in this podcast episode. There will be spoilers for each webtoon chapter discussed in this episode, so if you have not checked any of them out yet, I highly recommend it. I will leave links to all of the webtoons that we will talk about today, and there will also be links to all of the authors and creators, Patreons, or even social media. Thank you guys so much for listening today. Now we are going to talk about these webtoons. First up, we have Unordinary, episode 216, by Uru-chan. The chapter picks up where we left off last time. We see that Lila is confronting the attackers that ambushed her, Serafina, and Arlo in the cafe in the last episode. One of the attackers mentions to Lila that she can't keep running away from their boss. Eventually, she offers to talk to him on the phone, so when she starts speaking to the man, we don't get a good look at his face. But the most information that we do get from this phone call is that the organization that Lila works for is called Spectre and that they discuss Target 93, which happens to be Serafina, her sister. The details given by Lila over this phone call is that she had an agreement with the boss that she would be allowed to speak with Serafina, or in this case, Target 93, which the boss didn't seem to care for. He had sent an ambush of people. Lila takes note that the ambush could expose their whole organization and ruin their plan. So, based on this analysis, I can assume that the organization is trying their best to be discreet and not to expose themselves. But with many of the encounters that we have gotten with this Spectre organization, it's that they're not very discreet. They use the dampener and then the attacks are pretty, you know, unfortunate. It's it's quite out there. (laughs) Uh, Most of the time when we see these attacks happen, I mean, they do a lot of property damage and that's not very discreet. And I would assume that their organization has been exposed as it is. Lila mentions the ambitions to disable yet another high tier, which I'm assuming is Arlo in this case, but that they couldn't be patient enough with her or that they were threatened by this meeting that she's going to have with her sister Serafina. It's hard to tell what the goal of this organization exactly is. I'm assuming we will get more information as the story moves on. But I don't understand why Lila would even decide to join an organization that has a goal to disable high tiers when she herself is a high tier. She didn't want Serafina to be targeted. Yet, in the end of the day, they went against her wishes and hurt her sister in the process. If her goals are to protect people, I don't see how getting rid of people's powers is really protecting them in a world that is based on your power level. And you could get hurt seriously injured by not being strong enough. Anyways, we end up in this abandoned warehouse with Serafina, Arlo, and the guy that works with Lila. The guy looks a little bit exhausted after teleporting them. Who knows where? We just know that they're very far away from the location that they were previously. Arlo begins dropping questions with Serafina, asking her things about Lila. What is it that they were talking about? And just in general, the trust that they have in question. Arlo ends up reading Serafina's mind in a way because he ends up just outright mentioning, did she ask you to work for Spectre? Which Serafina uh, mentions the deal that she had with Lila, that Lila is going to work to get Serafina's powers back, which to Arlo seems, you know, outrageous at this point. I mean, these people are targeting them, getting rid of people's powers in general, and he just wouldn't understand why Serafina would even go through with something that could honestly get everybody hurt in the end. But Serafina mentions things that she wants to change and she can't do that if she doesn't have her powers. And we know that she is powerful. I don't know if she could defeat John though. We know that John is only able to manipulate auras and things that he can see. So based on that, I would assume that he couldn't defeat her in battle. I think Serafina knows this and she knows that the only way to get him to snap out of it is to fight the guy (laughs) and she knows that he is out of control and she probably just wants him to snap back into it and just have her friend back. I saw a lot of comments in this webtoons episode and a lot of people were mentioning too that they were worried that Serafina was getting power hungry and I don't necessarily think she's getting power hungry I think she just wishes to have that part of herself back. She also just doesn't want anybody getting hurt anymore. She has seen both sides of the coin when it comes to having both powers and no powers. This also could be one of those situations where you want to get stronger for the right reasons, but you could end up getting a little manipulated over the amount of power you've gotten. I also think that if she decides to work with her sister Lila, she might get exposed to a certain type of mentality that could harm the people she's trying to help. It's hard to tell where this story is going because it is branching out way beyond the boundaries of the school system. Like Serafina says, this hierarchy, it's all the system. Everything needs to be changed, and she wants to help change that. Eventually, we have the partner for Lila wake up, and his name is Caden. He wakes up and sees that they are still here and is very grateful of them because it would have been a lot tougher to go and nab them again. <laughs> they start asking him a couple questions, you know, the basics. And he mentions, to to Serafina that she is heavily targeted right now. They mention that she is in a vulnerable state. She is powerful, or at least originally she was, and I don't know what they want to do with her. I assumed that they just wanted to get rid of people's powers, but I... I don't know if they're just trying to get rid of people in general who did have intense power. Is this disabler temporary? I have a couple guesses why they would want to get a hold of Serafina while she's in this vulnerable state. One is the fact that this whole disabler ability thingy is temporary and that they are on a crucial time limit in order to either get rid of Serafina or to get rid of her powers completely. Kaden mentions that Ember is actually being supported by the authorities. Now, in Ember's case, they have been getting rid of heroes and people that are of high tier abilities. I don't know what Specter's intentions truly are, but considering that Ember and them have a difference in viewpoints, I'm not sure what it is that they want Serafina for. Maybe they're just trying to get a hold of her before Ember can, but she's not a superhero. So what is it that they want with Serafina? She doesn't have her powers right now, but could she possibly get them back again? Also, Arlo ended up figuring out that the authorities with Ember, I can't believe it. It kind of reminds me of this comment that I saw in the bottom of the... Webtoon page. <laughs> the comment was by Eratria, and it is basically this. Ember is backed by the authorities. Arlo, surprise Pikachu face. <laughs> I really hope someone had drew some fan art of surprise Pikachu face Arlo. I would love it. <laughs> is that or I'm going to have to go draw some myself. Who knows? All right. I think that's all I can say about this episode of Unordinary. Um, if you have any opinions or thoughts, let me know. And now we are going to move on to the next webtoon. We have The Fate of a Rose by Sushi Cat Go, episode 43. I am so happy to see that this comic has just flourished with updates recently. The amount of work that Sushi puts into it is so formidable and I am so grateful for her. Thank you so much for sharing this wonderful story of yours. It is amazing. Now with this chapter, we begin with Xander asking Akita if she knew what the thief looked like. To his dismay, she did not. And she continued to tell him that, oh, it's okay, I'm looking on the bright side, it's no big deal. But of course, I mean, when you get your stuff stolen, it it kind of is a big deal and people can kind of consider that, yes, you are indeed in a little bit of shock from the incident. So with this in mind, Xander gives Akita a little bit of a hug. The hug ends up getting Akita to feel like this massive drop of guilt on herself. She doesn't want to lead Xander on, but with the circumstances, I mean, a hug wasn't a big issue here. I mean, it was okay to get a sweet hug from your friend when you're in a bit of distraught from losing your stuff. So, of course, there is a bit of awkwardness. The two of them start walking over to see if they can find the thief or just to look around and search for her missing stuff. Xander attempts to see if Akita will open up about her past or anything that's troubling her because he wants to be a good friend and offer her a different type of comfort. He feels a little inadequate with their relationship, at least in his side, because I guess he thinks that Akita doesn't trust him enough or something. And, you know, I would like for Akita to be able to open up to him at her own pace, but I do see Xander having a difficult time wanting to stick around because you know he doesn't feel adequate enough for her like he doesn't feel like he can offer her what she needs in this moment i don't think it helps that akita is kind of pushing him away even though she doesn't want him to have feelings for her in a romantic aspect i mean i think he would willingly just be there for her as a friend I mean, if you think about it, if you're willing to want to be in a relationship with someone, you enjoy their company enough to want to be there around them at any circumstance at a time. So even if that person didn't want to be in a relationship with you, I don't see why it would be a problem to just be with them as a friendship because you sought them as someone that you enjoyed their time with. But in this case... I can see both sides and I really hope that the two of them can talk about it and reconcile so that way their friendship or anything is mended. Akita is giving him the cold shoulder which is also her way of saying I'm not ready right now but it is a little tough to see because I want to know Akita's backstory. <laughs> I, I don't know who was it that was able to decipher everything from the backstory of Akita, because Sushi mentioned in her Instagram that someone had made a PowerPoint and everything and figured out the entire backstory. I don't know who that is, but I'm gonna track them down. (laughs) I'm kidding, but I am so anxious to see what this is all going to come about. The two of them do end up remembering Amy. (laughs) We do get a bit of a panel of her looking a bit distraught from her last encounter with Dee Dee. This next chapter must be quite a doozy because I'm just so curious on what's going to happen next. I really want to see more of Akita's backstory and more about Dee Dee, Amy, and I would like to see Pierce again. I think everyone's been asking for Pierce, (laughs) but by what I'm assuming, we will see him whenever it's time and we will all look forward to it and it will be uh, an exciting chapter. Next, we have Pot of Gold, episode 16, part two by Natasha Berlin. This is a really cute webtoon that I ended up coming across whenever I was on Instagram. The author was listening to my podcast and she actually messaged me about the fate of a rose. It was so cool. And whenever I looked at her account, I noticed that, oh, she makes a a comic. That is so cool. And I just fell in love with it. I think I ended up reading the entire comic in one day. (laughs) Um, I was a little hooked and I had a difficult time doing anything else because all I wanted to do is just catch up on her webtoon. I highly recommend that you go and check it out. The link is in the description, like I said before. It was so cool to see in the beginning of this episode what Pot of Gold looked like in the television series that the characters act in. We get a glimpse of Otto's character And his name is Lewis on the show. And basically they're talking about magic. And I guess he gave up his source to help her. And by her, I mean Mia's character. The scene ends with the two of them kissing. And the director yells cut. Which leads to a blushing Mia. (laughs) It was so cute to see her just bright red right after that kissing scene with Otto, And whenever she bumped into one of her friends or castmates... Her friend just has to point out how bright red Mia is from it all, (laughs) and Mia just blurts out, well, he is kind of a good kisser. (laughs) Which, like I said before when I commented on the webtoon, that Otto has game and he never knew he had it. (laughs) So they both end up talking about the surprise party for Otto that's going to come up in the next week or so. And by the looks of it, everyone is just getting ready to say goodbye to each other because Pot of Gold ended on its final episode of their series. I know that everyone in the webtoon is so looking forward to the eventual surprise party for Otto, and I'm hoping that they will eventually find out about his situation with the blackmailer. I feel so bad for him because I I just wish that he could actually talk to somebody and tell them, hey, there's a lot of stuff going on and that Mia is getting involved with all the danger that's happening. I am hoping for some sort of resolve for Otto's situation because from the first episode of this entire webtoon, we do see both Mia and Otto going on their little adventure to Colorado. So either they are still getting chased down or Alex or part of the party, you know, the crewmates are able to help them out in some way, shape or form. I absolutely adore this comic. I love the diversity, the characters. It is so funny and cute and the art is beautiful. I love the author's style. Not to mention, I really appreciate the representation of my own culture. Seeing Otto just flip a tortilla barehanded in the, I think it probably was like the second episode. I was just so impressed (laughs) because I saw that and I was like, oh, they get me. (laughs) If you haven't read this comic yet, I deeply, deeply recommend that you go and check it out. Next, we have Age Matters, episode 120 by Angelicious. Yura pitches to have Dylan and Daniel escort her and Rose to their little reunion, which Rose makes it quite clear that she does not want to have any part with this reunion. And Yura kind of just pushes her buttons a little bit by saying, but we already told them we're going to be there. And I I thought we already made our spots. It's going to be so fun. Rose ends up having a bit of an outburst with her, which I can kind of understand because based on their history together, um, Rose just ends up feeling like a doormat when it comes to Yura. Yura has kind of pushed her beyond her boundaries and not really asking what she wants to do or asking really for any of her own wishes. At first, I really liked Yura when we first got introduced to her because it was very generous of her to let Rose live with her and just help her out. But eventually, after the story moved on, I had a hard time liking Yura just because she kind of takes advantage of Rose. I mean, when Yura left the first time, she kind of just took advantage of Rose while she was drunk. She didn't get her proper consent, and in no way can she give proper answers when she's intoxicated. So then Rose ends up having to do someone else's job for them and then Yura doesn't even have the consideration to go and tell Rose what's going on or even try to update her on anything. I know we get explanations for this but I also have a difficult time even seeing the okayness with it because when your friend's asking about you and when are you going to come back and you don't even tell her, uh, that's not really fair for them. Especially when they're taking care of your work and your home. But I digress. (laughs) So I'm just going to move on and we're going to talk about Daniel. (laughs) Because Daniel is our MVP of this chapter. We see that he goes and chases after Rose after her bit of a fight with Yura. And Daniel kind of makes it clear that he can see right through Rose. He understands that this isn't necessarily about the reunion, but more so about the possibility of seeing her ex fiance Which I can understand, it would be a little hard to see someone that you were about to marry and had a really deep connection with and by the looks of it, did not leave on good terms, like the two of them just, it was not a good, clean breakup. So in the end of it, Rose just kind of points out that she finds it almost scary how well he can see right through her and we get this cute scene of the two of them just hugging and loving on each other, (laughs) and they're just so sweet, and they end up going back to the apartment. During that time they were talking, we have Rowan trying to comfort Yura, and he ends up just telling her that the position that Yura put Rose in, Rose ended up benefiting from it a lot because it helped her move on, and she's so much happier than she was before. So that helps perk Yura up, and eventually... We get Daniel and Rose and everyone is back together in the room. Yura formally apologizes to Rose about everything and just wants to respect Rose's wishes. So whenever the mention of the reunion party is back up, Rose decides that yes, she will indeed be going. Everyone is happy and dandy. And that's when Daniel and Dylan both bump into the mysterious CEO man, which I'm assuming is Daniel's father. And I'm just wondering, what on earth does this man want to do with Daniel? (laughs) It just, based on that ending, it looked like bad news. Also, Dylan seems he wants to really find a place of his own. I am really hoping that he can get some good help with that so him and Skye can be together in their own comfort place. I'm honestly really nervous about this reunion that's going to come up because I'm not looking forward to seeing Rose's ex-fiance. It has kind of been made clear that this dude is the enemy of this comic, but as the story progressed, we start understanding that this guy is trying to make an entire competitor to Lime, And it seems that he's working with Daniel's secretary who looks so much like Rose, it's scary. <laughs> I am nervous, but I am also very excited for the next episode. So whenever that comes up, hopefully I can get a chance to talk about that too. Next, we have Love Me Not, episode 23 by Sophia. The episode starts off with Noah asking Avery if she would like to come over to his apartment to study. Avery is a bit on the fence since she did go on a bit of a cramming spree in the past two days. So she is noticeably exhausted from it all. Noah notices that she's a little reluctant to agree, but he tries to tell her that it's no big deal and that she doesn't have to do it. But Avery is really nice and wants to give him a second chance. So she decides that she will just take a quick nap before heading over to his apartment later. When Avery is about to take her nap, she starts recollecting her thoughts about Noah and starts to think about their first encounter. She mentions that Noah is shy and probably due to the fact that her, Noah, and Hayden all have severed strings. That he must have just been super excited to see that he could have possibly found his soulmate, or something of the matter. And that he probably has just recollected his thoughts after talking to Hayden like she did. So before Avery was about to fall asleep, she does mention that she wonders if she will see Hayden later. Now, that was a little sneaky. I was thinking, ooh, are we going to have a little Hayden and Avery interaction? Is this ship going to start building some blocks to it? (laughs) I am still a little unsure of who to ship because I do like her interactions with Hayden, but I am wondering what it is that her and Noah are going to connect over, other than the fact that they have strings that are severed. I am hoping to see interactions from both couples or potential couples in the future because I would really like to see more development for all of these characters. He starts mentioning her jacket. She starts bringing up that she has siblings and Hayden brings up the fact that he's an only child. I can tell that Hayden feels a little lonely and I don't think it helps that he can see his severed string because I think that just puts on another facade of loneliness. I don't think he'll ever stay lonely for sure but it does leave that indicator of, oh man, I'm never going to see or find somebody who will match me like everyone else does because everyone else has their own dream to somebody else. I really appreciate Hayden's point of view of these severed strings because he doesn't find it hopeless. I could tell he's lonely because he knows that all of his relationships won't be long lasting, he still wants to try to be happy. I really like that about him. I think the mention of the lack of siblings for him was just to add on another layer of his wanting for affection. But aside from that, Hayden guesses correctly that Avery is the youngest of her siblings. She, of course, questions, how did you know that? And he was just like, well, it's because you're small. And cute and does a cute little pat on her head (laughs) and of course everyone is just going crazy. I read the comments and you know everyone's like oh my gosh we're getting (laughs) interaction. He said the C word. I mean (laughs) it was so cute though. I really like their chemistry. It's so um, organic is a good way to put it. I can say that these two have gotten off on a different tone than it was with Noah because You know i guess it's just because noah is a little bit shy and he didn't know how to approach her in a romantic way and hayden does have experience because he hasn't really you know try to hold himself back from being with other people so for him he's got game (laughs) and i think it just helps a little bit that the two of them have a shared interest i'm wondering what that shared interest or trait it will be for her and noah to get to know each other a little bit better. So I am really looking forward to seeing the interactions in the future. I think they're going to be so cute because this comic is adorable. (laughs) I really like reading it. I like the characters and the humor is really, really nice. Lastly, we have Lore Olympus, episode 143, You Want It, You Got It, by Rachel Smythe. This episode is the cutest episode yet of Lore Olympus. I absolutely love all of the interactions, little snippets that we got from all of the characters. Um, Persephone and Hades just hanging out and shopping and just being so adorable. (laughs) The title for this Lore Olympus chapter, I just wanted to sing it so badly, but I knew I didn't want to hurt any of your ears. (laughs) I did not want to put you through that kind of pain. But this chapter begins with two citizens of the underworld gazing at this beautiful bag that obviously looks like it's gonna be heavily priced (laughs) because the sassy shopkeeper over here is just like, one does not simply buy this bag. So, of course, based on the reaction of the shopkeeper, I just knew, oh, yeah, this store is going to be high-key nobility. So the woman, you know, is very sassy, <laughs> the shopkeeper. And, you know, nothing phases her until her coworker comes over and whispers something in her ear. And her face is just absolutely stunned by what she hears. We're just flooded with all of these scenes of the civilians of the underworld, the shopkeepers, we have a baker, (laughs) all just going mad because their king is coming down to, you know, shop. The next scenes are just so funny because we have all of these shopkeepers just pushing people out of their stores because they want to dedicate the whole time for Hades and Persephone to come in and shop. They start mentioning that he's going to bring a goddess in. And the two lads with the um, (laughs) flamethrowers, they were just blasting these two shoppers out of their store. And their conversation goes, I hear she's known as the bringer of death. And the other one's reaction is just, oh, rad. (laughs) And I just love that. I mean, they are just completely enthralled by this woman that Hades has taken interest in. I love that. Everyone is just so excited to help and serve Hades and his woman (laughs) and that they're honestly accepting of her compared to her experience in Olympus. I love that in the scenes when she is shopping, like she just fits right in. She's having a great time. She's talking with the, the tailors and the seamstresses while she gets fitted for her beautiful dress. And they absolutely adore her. And I love seeing that she's just so comfortable in her own skin here because she's just happy being herself and she gets to just enjoy her time. <laughs> and she has free liberty to do what she wants right now. Like, Haiti offers her choices, unlike in the last few times that she's had interactions with when it came to shopping. She even mentions to Hades that she didn't really get to shop last time when she went to a store because... Eros ended up, you know, picking things out for her and telling her, oh, you don't want this. You want this. And for Hades, he gave her choices. He was like, you want this pen? You want that pen? And she was like, "Uh, <laughs> I'm not too sure, Hades. And he just ends up telling her, well, the correct answer is you just pick both. And I love that scene when she just jabs her hand right into the, the box with all the pins and just grabs them all. <laughs> It's such a cute sequence. The scene whenever they're going through that elevator, the see-through one, and he just wants to show her that beautiful tree of hers. He is just telling her how grateful he is to see that she was able to bring so much life and fertility into his world, where he even mentions that the sun doesn't reach, so nothing grows there. And he even says that the citizens all adore this tree they are so grateful to this tree and I love that everyone just loves Persephone here <laughs> like she just fits right in and considering that she's a fertility goddess I guess that's why the mentioning of this all the time when it came to Zeus or to any character who even you know talks about it I didn't know what the true purpose of this was but I think I know now that for Persephone, her being able to bring so much life and fertility to this world that even Hades mentions doesn't get a lot of can really change the tide for everything because I feel like she could really shift the image of the underworld and change it into something that is going to be so much greater than what it already is. These two are meant for each other and I love the interactions that they have for this episode. They're so funny together, and they're just so sweet. We get quite a few sneaky kissing scenes in this episode. I mean, we didn't get a complete kiss, and we ended off with a cliffhanger. I mean, come on. (laughs) I really wanted them to just get that smooch in. I mean, Persephone isn't holding back whatsoever, and I'm kind of glad that she's able to just move forward and just love Hades the way she wants to love him. So to have all of these very sweet scenes with Hades and Persephone, I almost gagged (laughs) or at least I felt like I visibly gagged when I saw Apollo pop up on the screen of my phone. I was like oh no. (laughs) I was like don't ruin this for me Apollo. I don't want to see you right now. (laughs) And we do get a glimpse of Hermes and it seems that he's got his quarantine mustache going on (laughs) and I mean, Apollo ends up mentioning, oh, she's in the underworld, she's not going to have any fun whatsoever. And then we just pan to the scene of her just enjoying her life without him. (laughs) And I was just really liking the movement of this comic. It was just so fun and lively. One of the seamstresses asks her if she has a dress for the Cronia Festival. And of course, she's like, oh, no, I I don't. But you know what? I probably have something at home. And they just insist. And then Hades is just telling her, hey, just go for it. Get a dress. Which she's like, you need to get something, too. So we end up with this very cute scene of the two of them wearing these, like, very beautiful clothing. And they're kind of matching. I love the the way Persephone looks in black. I mean, it just complements the pink tone for her. I mean, it looks beautiful. And then Persephone is real sneaky with that bracelet trick. She's like, hey, can you put this bracelet on me? I need help with the clasp. And of course, she's looking like she's going to sneak in a bit of a kiss as he's putting on the bracelet for her because the moment's getting very sensual. (laughs) And uh, I don't know if we are going to get a kiss, but if we do, uh, I'll be so thankful to Rachel. Like, thank you (laughs) for this amazing scene. Now I don't know what the Cronia Festival is. I tried to look it up and all I ended up getting was the Corona Festival and I was like, oh no, not right now. <laughs> so I guess I'll just have to wait up to see what's going to happen in the next episode so we can get a bit of a clue what's what the celebration's gonna be for. It's gonna be very pretty, I bet. And it's gonna be so cool to see Persephone just living it up in the underworld. I can't wait to see what Rachel Smythe has in store for us. This is such a really good comic and this episode was just so sweet and I loved it. It is one of my favorites so far. Now that is the most I can say for these webtoons today. I really enjoyed discussing these. Let me know your thoughts and opinions of what we discussed today in this episode by messaging me through either of my social media handles. My Twitter handle is gr2andcheddar and my Instagram is insert underscore gooby underscore here. Also, definitely tell me any other webtoons, anime, or manga you are interested in and I may talk about them in future episodes. Now for my question of the week, I would like to ask you guys, what is a webtoon that has made you broke? <laughs> like, and I mean that more in the coins wallet sense, because here's my experience. I wasn't spending anything on FastPass for any of the webtoons I talk about on here on the podcast, but I have been reading It's a Good Day to Be a Dog, and i Completely flew through all of my coins like I had spent maybe four bucks to have like a good 50 coins because I had a deal And I ended up spending all of that on this webtoon because I just ended up becoming so obsessed <laughs> With the like I needed to know what was going to happen next and since it's like a completed series um, I just couldn't help it <laughs> so what would be one webtoon that has either made you consider buying fastpass or has made you go broke completely. You can tell me your answer through the SoundCloud comment section, or you can just tell me your answer (laughs) through my social media handles like I listed earlier. Also, I would like to give a shout out to a listener this week. And that listener is going to be my husband. Since this upcoming weekend is going to be Valentine's Day, I would like to say I love you and happy Valentine's Day, honey. (laughs) Now... Let's end this episode of the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today and taking the time to listen to my humble podcast. I look forward to talking with you again. This is the Toon Balloon podcast. I was your host, Gooby. See you next time.